0: wondered why we act and react the way we do, and what is actually going on in our brains. I'm Karen, and I'm here with my co-host, Nula, and together
1: we are the Safety Collaborators. Our mission is to help people have better conversations and change the way they think about safety. This is episode five of our Conversational Intelligence, or CIQ, series, and In case you're wondering what came before this, episode 38 was an introduction where we shared the learn activity. In episode 39, we moved into the five essentials of conversational intelligence. And in episode 40, we moved on to the three levels of conversations. And last week in episode 41, we explored the foundations of trust and what that means. If you've missed any of those... They're fabulous, and I highly recommend you go and listen to them. And if you're joining us for the first time, here is an overview of what is conversational intelligence, referred to as CIQ. So conversational intelligence, or CIQ, is the hardwired and learnable ability to connect, navigate, and grow with others, a necessity in building healthier and more resilient organizations in the face of change. CIQ begins with trust and ends with a high-quality relationship and business success, in the words of Judith Glazer. Now we're going to delve into part five of the CIQ series about our brains and the hormones and chemicals that impact our waking and sleeping moments. The conversation today is really about creating an awareness of how our brains are made up And what that means for us in the conversations we have. We don't claim to be experts, but rather eager students who are on a continuous learning journey. And we are excited to share our collective wisdom that we have gained so far. And to learn with you along the way. So to dive into today, Karen, I would love for you to maybe expand or explore what brains do we have? Because there's more than just one. There sure is.
0: Neuroscience has come a long way. And interesting enough, even through my journey of learning CRQ, which is since 2016. So in 2016, when we first started talking about the brains of CIQ, we'd mentioned five. Since then, we've added the sixth. So in this world, we talk about the wisdom of the six brains and how they interplay and react to each other, and why they're important in the conversations that we have. So the six brains are... Actually, I'm going to start at the base. And I mean the base. I mean (laughs) the gut. So one of our first brains, which is actually the last one that we added to this mix, is our gut brain. It is then followed by our heart brain, Then we go into our primitive brain, our limbic brain, our neocortex brain and our prefrontal cortex. Now, to be fair, the primitive, the limbic, the neocortex and the prefrontal cortex kind of make up the the bit that's in our head. Now, inside that, there are many, many, many different components to our brain. But in the context of conversations and how we just operate every day, this is all we really need to know at this moment for us mere mortals who are not neuroscientists. So it's really interesting. I'm, I'm struggling because normally I do this in, in front of an audience and I'll use my fist and my hand to demonstrate what I'm doing. And I find myself trying to do this at the moment. So you're just going to have to imagine this a little bit.
1: <laughs> so Well, at least you have an audience of one visually looking at what you're doing. I do. I do. So most people talk about the, the
0: primitive brain, which is our fear, fright, flight area of the brain. So it lives at the stem of our head, if you like. So at the top of our nervous system that meets the rest of our head. So that primitive brain is, or sometimes we hear it the reptilian brain, although they're starting to move away from that terminology because it's not really. Inside there is a little almond-shaped literally the size of an almond, area called the amygdala. Many people have heard of this. And that amygdala lives inside the primitive brain. And what we mean by primitive, it's just the oldest part of our brain. That amygdala is that fear, fright, flight component to us. So it's on guard. I often talk about the amygdala as our security guard. And it is on 24-7. So if you think of the role of a security guard, that's its job. Everything that we look at, all of our senses, our smell, our sight, everything kind of gets filtered through that part of our brain. And it's always looking for danger. Always. It's always going like, (gasps) what's going to come after us in this moment? It doesn't stop. Now, obviously, we're not looking for saber-toothed tigers and all the rest of it anymore, but We are constantly surveying our environment for anything that's new, that's unusual, that we don't understand, that's different to what we expect. So if you think about it from that perspective, that's the job of the amygdala. And so, of course, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move through this conversation. The next brain that's really important in all of this is our limbic brain. The limbic brain is our emotional centre. And when we talk about emotions, uh, and we have lots of conversations around emotional literacy, emotional intelligence, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about that part of the brain that is driven by emotion. Now, interesting, this is where the gut and heart brain become really important because they are the two other brains in our body that are constantly feeding that area. They will constantly be feeding the limbic region. This is also the fast part of our brain. So we might think that our new brain, this prefrontal cortex, this executive brain, as it's often called, or the captain of the ship, the vice president, whatever you want to call it, that's actually the slow brain. It's not the fast one. So the fast brain is this limbic area. Professor Tom Peters, who is the author of the book The Chimp Paradox, talks a lot about this area, and he calls it the monkey brain. So when you think about that feeling where your brain's going all over the place at 100 miles an hour and you're forgetting half the shit that you're supposed to be doing, that's your limbic brain in full flight. <laughs> now, throw into that a little bit of the primitive brain, which is your amygdala, right? You're a security guard. is going, well, I don't know what you're talking about. This. I'm going to shut everything down now, and I'm either going to hit something or I'm going to get really emotional or I'm just going to run away and hide because it's all too much. Or oh, I'm going to pass out. Whatever. If you think about it from that perspective, you think, "Oh my god, when does the the clever brain, <laughs> the one in the front, kick in here? Well, is the last one to kick in
1: in simple terms. It's kind of like it's almost making me think of, you know, the unconscious and the conscious. The, yes, the, the limbic and the primitive brain It's an automated unconscious reaction, whereas Mm -hmm. when it starts moving into the new brain, it becomes more conscious. I'm making a choice about how I'm going to react here. But if the other two have taken over... You're knackered. Good luck in switching that (laughs)
0: front one on. Yes, exactly. And that's the challenge. And that's the choice that we have, right? You're absolutely spot on. The more that we learn about our brains and their functions and how they kind of operate. Now, if you think about it, high hazard industries, which is where we spend a lot of time and have lots of conversations with people. So if you think, okay, I'm working on an oil rig. There's lots of big moving parts here. Our primitive and limbic regions are in play constantly because we're actually asking people to be Mm -hmm. hypervigilant. We're asking them to be safe. We're asking them to do all these things. We're asking them to be on red alert. Correct. But we're also asking them to think about what they're doing, which means they need to control those limbic primitive areas. There's another brain here I haven't mentioned yet, which is the neocortex. Now, the neocortex is kind of like the computer. It's like a filing cabinet of all of our memories, our stories that we tell ourselves, all of that sort of thing. So we also need to tap into that for our knowledge bank. So it's our knowledge bank. What do I need to do to be safe? What are the steps I need to take? How do I breathe, calm down? Verbalise. Think a little bit more and then allow my conscious, rational language. Well, language actually happens in the neocortex as well. The rational brain kick in and let's follow the steps that we need to take on. So these is kind of the power of the six brains. They all work together. When we're having conversations... All of them are in play as well. In our last episode, we talked about that moment of contact. You think about 0.07 seconds, we start mm-hmm. to make decisions about, do I trust, do I not trust, etc., etc. That's our limbic and primitive brain in action. Mm-hmm. You have very little control over that. You're, for a large degree, not even conscious of it. It is what you said earlier about the unconscious mind coming to play. Now, all of these minds and brains are working all the time. Nobody stops. Nobody goes to sleep. They're busy all the time, which interestingly is also why we need to give the brain a rest, all of them, even our gut brain. We need to give it a rest from food. Mm -hmm. If we overeat, it's exhausted. The gut brain actually sends 400 more signals per second to the brain, to the primary brain, than the other way around. Mm. So the gut is actually sending more information
1: up rather than the brain down. Which is phenomenal. I mean, if you think about that and you think about our reactions and the way that we feel and where we sense things. You know, when you're overly stressed, what happens? You get a stomach ache. Exactly. When you're fearful, you get nauseous or your stomach goes into like a slight spasm or whatever.
0: You and I use a term called heart sore. Yes. So when we're feeling sad or something's really—I don't know what
1: the right word—distressing, right
0: you actually feel it in your chest. Your heart hurts. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those. Brains again in action.
1: What was coming to mind was the research that is being done into how you can die of a broken heart. Yes. There's so many things that were seen as old wives tales or myths or what have you, that science is starting to bring to the fore with evidence. Mm. And I think that's what's exciting me so much is that Mm. it really is this coming together of so we almost lost knowledge along the way, trying to become knowledgeable, and we are refinding, we're reestablishing that knowledge. So some of the older forms of medicine,
0: of mm-hmm. I mean, you think of Aristotle. I mean, good grief, he's not a young man; <laughs>
1: he's been around for a long time, and yet we still reference him today. Exactly, because he had some knowledge. And moving into that conscious brain, where it's no mm-hmm. longer the. You know, what's it? Flight, fright, freeze, appease. There we go. Yes. And moving into where where we can learn things like Mm. empathy, compassion, Mm. where we can learn how to make better judgments. It becomes a conscious way of being rather than just reacting. Reacting out of an emotive state. Exactly.
0: There's some other elements to the brain here that are really important and they are the centers for our chemicals. Mm -hmm. So we also have some other areas like the hypothalamus, which is the drug store really of the brain. So it's the chemist. So it's yep. the one that sits there and is constantly firing out. okay, well, you're feeling a bit scared, so we're going to give you some cortisol. Oh, you're feeling really warm and fuzzy, so we're going to give you some shots of oxytocin. Oh, you've got a fright. Here's some adrenaline. Exactly. Well, right, so cortisol goes up, your adrenaline kicks in, mm-hmm. and there's a few others. There's quite a lot of hormones that involve. But the two key ones from a conversational perspective, we tend to talk about cortisol and oxytocin. So they are all coming from the brain, but they're very close to your limbic region. So again, when we're feeling uncomfortable, when we don't trust a situation, we probably feel it first. Mm -hmm. So again, the gut, the heart, our physiology comes into play before the brain even kicks in and long before our prefrontal cortex
1: actually kicks in, that executive brain. You just made me think of that when you get that sense of goosebumps or the hair stands up on the back of your neck. Correct. It's your body telling you. Something's going on here. I always say to people, pay attention. Pay attention. Even
0: if you then get evidence to suggest there's nothing wrong, mm-hmm. always pay attention. I always say to people, don't push the envelopes, particularly the more unsafe the environment potentially is. For the most part, things are pretty safe these days but we need to be aware. Mm -hmm. And for some people we'll have more intuitiveness towards that than others. We're all different. Mm -hmm. We can't say that this is a blanket sweep, but what we do know, those are the key areas of the brain that we can think about. How do we regulate different components of that brain? How do we activate a prefrontal cortex before the limbic or the primitive brain kick in? Or Maybe what's more important is that we start to learn more about ourselves, understand what our triggers are and where that trigger might be coming from. Mm-hmm. And again, bring it back to conversations, it starts to truly impact our conversations and our ability to have conversations and our conversational
1: patterns. If you want to reach out to us, use the hashtag conversations that matter and we'll pick it up on the socials. Or look out for us on LinkedIn, Karen Ovari me, Nula Gage, or our company, Safety Collaborations. Now back to this week's show. Can the brain change? Or are we kind of like formed by the time we leave school and pretty much, honey, what you got there is what you got? That used to be the story, but not so much anymore. So we now know, and this has probably
0: been around, I mean, I know I started looking at neuroplasticity probably 15 years ago in the very early stages of that conversation. I mean, the neuroscience is moving, not as fast as AI, but, you know, it's it's certainly, you know, changing a lot, right? Oh, here's an interesting stat. Sorry, I was just looking at our notes, actually, and I just saw something. So the gut brain, so most of us think serotonin, which is the, the hormones and the neurotransmitters we need for sleep. Right, So we get serotonin, it makes us happy, helps us sleep. 90% of our serotonin is in the gut, not in the brain. Wow, not in the brain. Well, not in the head brain. The head brain, yes. That's the neurotransmitter that helps regulate mood appetite and sleep. And interestingly, I think science is now moving towards, and don't hold me to this anybody, but it is now moving away. So you think about mental health, the conversations around mental health mm. right, and mental wellness and mental fitness. Think about what I just said. 90% of that neurotransmitter is in our gut and it regulates our mood, our appetite and our sleep. So if those things aren't happy... How can the rest of us function properly? How can our emotional fast brain settle down? Mm -hmm. How does
1: our prefrontal cortex even start to think? It hasn't got a chance. And it just also makes me think, how important is it Mm. to look after your gut? Mm -hmm. And I love that whole thing around what you put Mm -hmm. in your mouth is either your medicine or your poison. Absolutely. And this just kind of brings it to the fore even more for me of... How am I creating an imbalance that is going to reduce the amount of serotonin that my body can actually give me when I am not looking after myself? Yeah. And the positive is that I can change that. But that is a conversation for another day. Again,
0: thinking about this, if I'm not in a good mood, what is the quality of my conversation going to be like? Yep. If I've got a stomach ache or I'm not feeling well, what's the quality of my conversation going to be like? If I've had a really crappy night's sleep, what's
1: the quality of my
0: conversations going to be like?
1: And if I'm not in a trusting environment where I can actually say, listen, I'm not having a good day, how much poorer does the quality of our conversation become? Because then I'm going to try and cover it up and I'm going to try and put on the big brave face and actually epically fail along the way. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's just, it, everything is so interconnected in Completely. how we show up mm. in our day and how we show up with people.
0: In the way that we coach people, we coach to what we call the human soul. And when we're having conversations, you, you, it's not just what's going on cognitively. We look at what words, what's the language we can hear, what are the conversational patterns that we can see? What are the emotional mood patterns that we can see and hear? And what is the body shape like? What what are the eyes doing? What's the color of their skin? If you're in person you might see them fidgeting with their hands. All of this is part of this conversation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So coming back to what you were saying about, you know, can we change? Yes we can. It's called neuroplasticity. And There's a great video which we will put a, it's by Centus, and it's a lovely two and a half minute video that really explains visually what happens in the brain and how we can change. Habits, for example. So, gone are the days where we used to think we've got this habit here, so we're going to create a new one, so we'll stop this one and start the new one. Doesn't actually work like that. So, it's a bit like a dynamic power grid or a highway of moving cars. You know, it's a bit like walking down the same footpath. If you keep walking down that path, it will wear down after a while or get bigger and wider. So, in the case of the brain, If we want to create new habits or new ways of being, we need to practice those new ways. And over time, if that's our choice, it may then say, okay, that old way of being is now reducing in size in our little neural pathway is reducing. Mm -hmm. And this new habit that I'm forming is increasing in size. And that's what we call neuroplasticity. And the brain is constantly in this mode. It's always changing and evolving. Again,
1: food is really important in that conversation. But I think we'll do another one on that. Absolutely. For me, what is so exciting about that is it really shines in the face of a leopard doesn't change its spots or you can't change or you can't do something differently because actually, you can, but if you've been doing the same thing for 35 years, that's a very entrenched neural pathway. So it's going to take a lot of conscious choice yeah. to build a new neural pathway and yeah. you're not going to get it right overnight. No. You know, you're not going to make a choice and then, oh, it's, this is a new way and that's the way I'm going. So it's not about beating yourself up because Mm-mm. you're going back to your old habit or your old way of doing things. Mm. But it's about understanding and going, okay, that pathway is still pretty entrenched, Mm -hmm. but I'm now going to pause, I'm going to reframe, refresh, and I'm going to walk down the new pathway that I'm building and I'm trying to entrench as my new way of being. important part of that is also
0: understanding what are your triggers. So, what triggers you to keep going back this way versus the new way? Mm -hmm. Do you need to create a new reward system? Yeah, whatever that looks like. That's not big reward. That's an internal thing. It could be a, you know, internal pat on the shoulder. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. So that's also really important. Let's bring this now back to the conversations. And you may be starting to understand that having a conversation isn't as simple as just opening your mouth and making noise. It's far
1: more complex than that. (laughs) If only it was that simple. No, 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 it's not. We think it is, but it's not. (laughs) It's not. But at the same time, it's not about overcomplicating. No, agreed. But again, creating that awareness of... Agreed. Be conscious of maybe there are a couple of things that you want to tweak Mm. and how do you go about doing that so i think maybe the simple takeaway here is
0: a little bit understanding our chemical cocktails that directly impact our conversations so in our last episode when we were talking about trust we talked about how do we downregulate cortisol and upregulate oxytocin these are the two conversations uh, conversational chemicals that are constantly in play And what's also interesting thing is with cortisol, cortisol, as I said earlier, is not a bad chemical. It's only bad when it's too much. Mm -hmm. We actually need cortisol to do stuff, to move forward. We need it. It gets us excited about things. They are also very much influenced by our environment. When we have too much cortisol, so cortisol is known as the mobilizing uh, neurotransmitter and oxytocin, the bonding neurotransmitter in Different formats, right? We need to have a healthy mix of both. But often what we see in conversational challenges, if you like, is that there's probably too much cortisol in play. So if we are not feeling well, if you're feeling sick, if you're not happy with your boss, if you're in an environment that doesn't reward vulnerability, the list is very long. Mm -hmm. Your cortisol will go in. Now, the interesting thing is every shot of cortisol can last up to 27 hours in the body. One shot. Oxytocin, which is the countermeasure to cortisol, lasts three to four hours. Wow. So we need to find constant reinforcement of oxytocin.. Mm-hmm. That's why you'll see some people who are just seem to be in a permanent bad mood, you know, because maybe they're just not getting <laughs> enough of the other chemical, right? <laughs> so, and you can get this in many ways. You don't have to walk around hugging everybody. That's not what we're saying. Oh, I got
1: so excited there for a moment. Yeah, would have. You, know? you would have. Yeah, yeah, being the queen of hugs.
0: When we talk about conversation intelligence and these two hormonal trans neurotransmitters, what do we need to do to? downregulate cortisol and upregulate oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, we have conversational patterns. We don't generally know what they are. They're a bit of our blind spots. We all have them and we can actually we run a test. It's called the CRQ catalyst. It's literally 10 questions. The results are completely different for everybody because we have our own set of depleting conversational behaviors and nourishing conversational behaviors. So when you look at the results of this, you've got five columns are red, which represents cortisol, and five columns are green. And that's true for everybody. And what we're looking for then is what we call pair bonds. So we look at, well, okay, you think that you're this, but that's actually a cortisol or a depleting behaviour. But you think you're also this over here, which you're nourishing, well, one's counteracting the other. Oh, wow. Anyway, without going into too much more detail. What we're looking for is to how to downregulate the cortisol or that depleting behaviours. It's about minimising those types of conversations that trigger fear, power play, uncertainty, the need to be right, and groupthink. So they tend to be driven by higher levels of cortisol. On the upregulate, what we're looking to do is reinforcing behaviours that inspire, that is transparency, that builds relationships, that offers understanding, shared visions, some truth, some empathy. So it's how do we appreciate
1: each other? So showing appreciation is a dose of oxytocin. Whereas I'm guessing on the other side, judging someone instead of appreciating them will be a shot of cortisol. Exactly. If you're withholding knowledge, it's a depleting behaviour. If you're sharing knowledge...
0: It's a nourishing Mm behaviour. We'll put a little image into the show notes that sort of gives you a bit of an idea on this one to give you a sense of what that really looks like and maybe give you some thoughts on, look at it and think, well, do I do those things? And by the way, we all do those things on both sides at different times and in different amounts. What we're looking for here is how do we more often
1: be nourishing in our conversations Mm -hmm. rather than depleting and i think it's a helpful guide to also if you're thinking of maybe a challenging relationship that you're having at the moment Mm. what are you seeing showing up in your conversation Mm. is it depleting conversations Mm. well you know what then that relationship is going to continue being challenging Mm. so how can you start to reword reframe for it to be a more nourishing conversation Mm. And it's not easy. And I think this is where it's really helpful to have somebody who understands us or a coach that you can check in with and say, this is where I'm at, you know, and this is what's happening. How can I change? Let's explore this. Let's co-create the future that you want to see. And you're absolutely right. Having a
0: conversation with a coach or a like-minded person or a friend that you trust is a great place to start. So... There was a lot of information in this episode, Mm -hmm. so we're going to wrap up with a few fun facts about the heart, the gut, and the brain in its more purest sense.
1: Right. So, did you know that 60% of the human brain is made of fat? So when you go on, let's reduce fat-free diets, and then you start feeling a little bit stupid... Eat the right fats. It'll help. Absolutely. Going to ketosis. Another conversation. <laughs> the human gut is lined with more than 100 million nerve cells. And the heart has about 40,000 neurons that operate independently of the brain. I think this is just amazing. The gut sends about
0: 400 more messages to the brain than the brain to your gut.
1: And your brain's storage capacity is considered virtually unlimited. So you might have cloud capacity when you're saving to the cloud. However, your brain, (laughs) we have a lot more space than we believe. And that's very
0: true. Brain information travels up to an impressive 268 miles per hour. No wonder we're bloody tired.
1: (laughs) Get that rest, exactly. (laughs) That's why we need to sleep. Mm -hmm. And it is an absolute myth that you only use 10% of your brain. Your brain is firing all of the time in various places. That
0: neocortex that I mentioned earlier actually is a very thin membrane, but it covers three quarters of the brain. Wow. So if you think about all our stories, all of our knowledge, all of that lives there. Wow. A piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand contains 100,000 neurons and 1 billion synapsis. Now that's neuroplasticity. Wow. I don't really even know what that means, to be honest. It's a lot. (laughs)
1: It's a lot. (laughs) Think of the, basically it's a billion power grids in a grain of sand. Exactly. (laughs) Your head, heart and gut brain communicate through the vagus nerve, which is one of the longest nerves in the body and is a communication center for all your internal organs. It starts at your head, And it goes all the way down to your abdomen. And that's the superhighway.
0: 90%
1: of your body's serotonin is found in the gut. And the human brain can generate about 23 watts of power, enough to power a light bulb. No wonder we have light bulb moments. On that note,
0: (laughs) thank you for joining us.
1: (laughs) It's always lovely to have conversations that matter. And that was... A lot of information in that conversation. It was. And if you want to know more and you want to share some of your wisdom and learn along the journey with us, connect with us. Hello at safetycollaborations.com. You can find the show notes on our website, safetycollaborations.com. Leave us a message and let us know your thoughts. We would love to learn from you. And if you enjoyed this podcast and you know somebody who would like to learn a little bit more about the different brains that we have and the chemicals that help us do what we do. Share this. It would help us and give us a like. Subscribe to our podcast. And until next week, stay safe and stay well.